Amen and good morning, church. God is a wonderful, amazing, and faithful God, isn't he? Um, let me welcome you if this is your first time with us, whether it be in person or online. My name is Terry O'Brien. I'm one of our elders, and uh, I believe God has a message for each and every one of us this morning, so let's jump right in. Um, thank you, Kristen. Um, I want to focus, start our focus this morning on Psalm 119.14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And as we walk through the, the message today, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, if you want to pull out your Bibles, um, and they'll also be online. I'd, I'd like to say a prayer just as we, we get op open and get going here. Heavenly Father, you have plans for us, just like you did King, <clears throat> just like you did your prophet Isaiah. Lord, you have a message for us through Isaiah. I'd ask you to speak to us corporately, individually, about what you'd have us do in regards to this message, about our role within the local body, our role within the body of Christ, that we would seek to serve you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen. As we get started here, I'd ask you to um, go in that place in your mind's eye where you have a little bit of imagination, where you can... Imagine the story that Isaiah is going to relay to us from Isaiah chapter 6. And this is his calling um, as, a, as a prophet. Now understand, by the time we get to chapter 6, Isaiah has already been called as a prophet of God. He's already been prophesizing to the people of Jerusalem. At that point, the king Uzziah was king over Israel and Jerusalem. And they're walking through some hard times. So go with me, Will. Open your eyes, close your eyes, listen, see the words, however you need to listen. But hear the word of the Lord to us today. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke and I said, woe is me, for I am lost. In the King James, it says, undone. In the NIV, ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. 
And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. Powerful, powerful words. Being in the presence of God. Many times people, as we read through scriptures, fall literally at their face. And we can see even Isaiah is undone, ruined by being in the presence of God. So let's unpack this chapter. Let's see what the message not only to Isaiah was, but the message to us is today. Um, first of all, King Uzziah, who, who was he? Why is he the, the turning point, if you will, in Isaiah's pr- uh, prophetic ministry? I need to drop back to Second Chronicles chapter 26. You see, King Uzziah uh, was actually made king over Israel in the place of his father uh, at the age of 16. You know, there's a heavyweight for you. Um, Ethan, you feel like being king over, you know, mayor over uh, Abilene, maybe? How's that sound, right? Um, I think he'd probably look at me and laugh and say, no thanks. Um, he said, King Uzziah set himself on the right path to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And for 52 years he did. In fact, when we get toward the end, end of those 52 year, years, and we learn in verse 15, in Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to, on towers and corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, and he was, for he was marvelously helped till he grew strong. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense at the altar of incense. And because he, within the society at the time, the king wasn't, that wasn't his job. His job was to lead the people governatorially, whereas the priests were the victims. It was their job to offer incense before the Lord. He had outstepped, he had grown strong, he had puffed himself up. And literally at that point, God punished him with leprosy, literally on his forehead, on the rest of his body. And he spent the rest of his days not as king, but as a leper in a leprosorium till the day of his death. And then on the day of his death, we see, or at that time, God breaking into Isaiah's life in a life-altering way with a vision of God on his throne in heaven. See, the Lord sits on a throne in heaven, high and lifted up, because God is the sovereign ruler in heaven, the sovereign ruler of the universe as its creator, founder, the Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. And that's the central fact of heaven, that there's an occupied throne It's not some rickety old chair, rocking chair, just sitting back. No, it is a throne. And sovereign kings sit on thrones. Those in proper authority sit on thrones, and they are high and lifted up, 
Well, why is this so important to Isaiah at this moment in time? Because God is telling him, don't story Isaiah about those earthly things. King Uzziah, while he was strong, fell mightily, but I, the Lord God, am on my throne. And that throne is high and majestic. It is set in a superior position to show his authority over all creation, both past, present, and future. See, if we look back at Moses in Exodus, we see God saying to Moses, I am who I am. And when you look at the footnotes there, the interpreter said, or another version of that is, I am what I am, or I will be what I will be, past, present, and future. And in that temple, the train of his robe fills it. Kings of that time would wear robes with long trains because they were difficult to maneuver. Why is that? Wearing a long train meant I am important enough and I don't have to work. I am a person of honor and dignity. Others must serve and wait upon me. Ladies, think back to your wedding days and how easy it was to move along with that wedding gown and train you needed. That's why you have bridesmaids, right? To help you with that process. God has those. They're called angels. They're called seraphim. And his, the train of his robe filled the temple. God is so honored, so important, so dignified that he had, a, had and has a long, massive train and angels attend to him because he is as we then see later on, holy, holy, holy. But first, we, we see the seraphim. Now, here in Isaiah, they're called seraphim. Other, where, other places in Scripture, they're called cherubim or the living creatures. The term seraphim means burning ones. And we see that, that term rec, uh, also in Ezekiel, which where we learn that their appearance was like burning coals of fire, the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire went lightning. That certainly sounds like burning ones. Each of them had six wings. We think to earthly creatures nowadays, well, birds fly with two, dragonflies, and other, other creatures have four. But, but why six? Let's see. Nothing in God's presence doesn't have a purpose. See, they needed two to cover their faces because they're too lowly to look upon the face of God. Two to cover their feet, to cover those areas of humble parts of their body so that nothing may even be deficient in the Lord's presence. And then two so they can fly. And while they're flying, they have a job that they continually do. Notice they're not even directly addressing God himself, but they're talking to each other and to you and I. They're proclaiming God's glory and his holiness, his set-apartness. But why holy, holy, holy? Why three times? Commentators would say that there are two possible explanations. The first is God is a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, three in one. That would be why he's holy, holy, holy. 
Other commentators comment that, well, it's because within Hebrew, there's no exclamation point. There's no way to turn up the volume, to emphasize, no bold, no italics, no bigger font. So to say something is holy is, okay, it's set apart. Holy, holy is to imply that is more set apart. Holy, holy, holy. It says far more. It says that God is to declare his holiness in the highest possible degree. Take that volume knob of the old stereo, turn it all the way up and rip it off. Because that's how holy God is. In fact, when they ripped that knob off, the foundations of the temple shook. As they declare continually God's holiness. Well, what's our response? What was Isaiah's response to this holiness, the being in the presence of the Lord? Moses, when he was in his presence of the Lord, his face shone. And he had to veil it because others couldn't even be in the reflected presence of God. When Isaiah saw the angels and the Lord, he realized he was so unlike them that he was literally undone. And so his reply was, I am a man of unclean lips and I cannot say holy, holy, holy. And I am a people of unclean lips and and I must die even though he's already a prophet of God at this point in his life he is undone he saw his sinfulness and the sinfulness of his people came and he must die see lips which the seraphim came and touched with a coal are lips of full of flattery yet false intent Psalm 12 verse Two, with flattery our lips and a double heart they speak. Psalm 131, by our nature our lips lie and are proud. Let lying lips be put to silence which speaks insolent thing proudly and contemptuously against righteousness. Psalm 59 verse 7, by nature our lips are violent, swords are in their lips. And Psalm 140, by our nature our lips bring death to others. Literally, it says the poison of asps in terms of West Texas, the poison of rattlesnakes is under their lips. And not only that, but their tongue. Our tongue we learn in James our tongue is a many twisted thing. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord as we just were, and the Father, and sadly, with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, this thing ought not to be. 
And Isaiah did not think for a moment that this was his only sin, but he saw this was an example of a great and incurable disease. And so Isaiah cries out, and then God, to Isaiah, through the power of the the spiritual transaction of that coal, atones for his sin. And that's a, a prefiguring, if you will, of Christ on the cross when he laid his arms inside out willingly, sacrificially, for each and every one of our sins. That if we would believe in him and repent of our sins, he is faithful and just and forgive us our sins. Amen? Amen. And then God asks a question. This morning when we were praying, we were talking about the attributes of God. God is all-powerful. God is all-present. God is all-knowing. Well, then why does God need to ask questions? If we say these are the attributes of God, why would a loving, holy God, all-knowing, all-powerful, need to ask questions of Isaiah? But you see, God is asking for a person because God wants to reach the world. He wants to reach it through willing people. Isn't that God knows, doesn't know who these people are? It's God's waiting for their hearts to reveal themselves. How strange it is that the God of majesty, sovereignty, and power asks for volunteers. See, my son makes robots. Does a good job of it. And he, like God, could create robots to do things. God can create robots to just, here, go do this. That's what he does with the angels, right? He could command the angels to carry out his will. But God, in his sovereignty and blessing to us, wants willing, surrendered servants. So like Isaiah, have you been waiting for God to force you to serve him? Or are you just asking for a call to volunteer? I tell you today that God is looking for volunteers within this body. See, because in Matthew 28, 16, which we read last week, is the Great Commission, and he has commissioned us to be at work within his kingdom. See, now 11 disciples went up from Galilee to the mountain in which God directed them. Jesus directed them, sorry. And when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God is calling us to be volunteer disciple makers. Even in our doubts, God is giving all his authority to his son, and his son gave that authority to you and to the eye, and that responsibility to go and share and be discipleship makers. There's an image I'd like to put up on the screen now that I'd like you to consider with me. Image of a tree. See, the church is like a tree. 
People see the trunk and the leaves and the fruit. That's us, the believers, right? Going out and doing good works, like yesterday where we had the food pantry and we served 50 families giving them food and prayer. But the church is also like a tree in that the church has roots. And those roots are its servant leaders, our pastors, our elders, our deacon and deaconesses that serve the body, that provide the spiritual nourishment to the tree so that it might grow and bear good fruit in season. In our church bylaws, we talk about our church government and that we believe the Bible teaches that there are two primary offices within the church and that's the, the offices of elder, deacon, and deaconesses. And the pastor, elders, overseers all refer to the same office, and we believe the Bible teaches that should, there should not be just one elder, but a plurality of elders. And we have a church government that is elder-led and deacon-served, and every member is a willing servant of the Lord. The New Testament portrays elders are those who shepherd the local church, them, and they are to lead the people, protect them from false teaching, admonish them, Teach them, counsel them, rebuke them, care for them, pray for them. An overseer of the church, as overseers of the church, elders must certainly supervise budgets and programs, but this task is secondary to caring for the people. And the qualifications from elders we've read in the past, but I do want to read it again because God is asking you to consider volunteering for these roles. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires for the office of overseer, elder, pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity and keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into that fallen nation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. And the second role of deacon and deaconesses is, is similar. And we, in our church bylaws, we talk about the New Testament portrays deacons as those who serve the local church. They are to provide leadership over service-oriented functions of the church doing whatever is necessary to allow elders to accomplish the purposes of their God-given calling of shepherding and teaching the church. This includes but is not limited to the basic management of church property, acts of benevolence within the community, assisting in collecting and counting the offerings and the preparations of sacrament and the sacraments of baptism and communion. And in 1 Timothy 3.8, we read, Deacons must likewise be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. 
they must hold to the mystery of the faith with clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things, and let deacons for each be the husband of but one wife, managing their children and households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith of Jesus Christ. See, in Acts chapter 6, I'll just read the end of it. They selected seven men. So for the distribution of daily food and, and necessities within the body of Christ. And at the end of Acts chapter 6, we read starting in verse 7, that the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and even or many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Just as we saw in the calling of the Great Commission, when we walk forward with that in love and volunteerism, if you will, that God moves mightily, daily, in people's lives. So I'd ask you now, um, person asked you to pull out your bulletins earlier, and I'm going to ask you to pull out your bulletins again. If this is your first time, maybe you don't, don't do it today because you don't know others within the body. But if you've been here a while, you've had a chance to meet and greet, be part of life groups, be part of our other various ministries, and you've had a chance to, to meet and greet many within this body. There are many who already volunteer, but maybe you or they are called to a higher level of volunteer, higher level to help be the roots of South Point Church to the glory of God that we might feed this church well. So I'd ask you to on that connect card to consider, prayerfully consider recommendations for candidates to be evaluated and tested for the roles of elder, deacon, and deaconess within our body to the glory of God. First thing. Second thing I'd ask you also to do is um, be praying for our church body. We're going to have times of corporate prayer. We've talked about that. Um, but we're also going to make a change here coming up on October 31st. Um, a while back, we went to two services because our numbers were big and, and COVID was booming and we wanted to try and spread things out. Um, as you can see, we're not quite full here today. And we believe that at this point within our, in our walk as a body, we're going to drop back to one service so we can be unified and serve together to the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To that end, on October 31st, we're going to be going to one service. We're going to have our quipping classes at 9.30, and we'd encourage you all to attend those. Those are really good, good, good classes. If you're not already, you can jump in. There's one on prayer and worship. Another one on the book of Romans. Um, we may even have some prayer time in here as well as another alternative. And then there's a, um, there's a couple's um, marriage class. Now, there are a couple weeks, they're, they're in a little bit. That might be a little bit hard to join kind of in the middle, but if you need help with marriage, the leaders of that class would love to help you and see where you, they can help you join in with that. See, we want to see the body built up. We want to see the body strengthened for Jesus Christ. Also within that, if you're already volunteering within our ministries, our ministry leads are going to get a hold of you because obviously this is going to change some of that dynamics, Right? 
If everybody is here together, that means now we have twice as many babies in the nursery. That also means we have twice as many kids back in the kids' area, right? Amen, hallelujah, and they're going to need help. If you have kids there, consider how you might help. Or maybe you have kids there, so you're going to help in the nursery. Or versus vice. Maybe you need a break from your baby and you want help back there. Or there are other ministries. We have an online team that's broadcasting our service right now. Maybe you want to be part of that or part of our uh, computer team. Maybe you've got some music skills and you can bring your music, bring your talents. But I'd ask you to consider where has God gifted you? Each of us is part of the body. Each of us is called to a role within the body. Consider how God wants you to volunteer, just like God wanted Isaiah to volunteer. He could have roboted him. Praise God he didn't, because he doesn't us. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you give us a glimpse into your throne room through Isaiah. Lord, help us take our eyes off men and fix them fully on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. For you are holy, holy, holy. Lord, we want to volunteer for you. We ask you to guide and direct us as to how you would have us do that. There are many ways you want us to be effective in the kingdom and you've called and you commission us. In fact, you even gave all authority in heaven on earth to your disciples, even in the midst of their doubts. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. At this point, we come to the point of our service where we, uh, we take an opportunity to give back to the Lord what he's given us. Each of us have been given talents and gift, talents and abilities that we go out in the, the workplace and, and earn money to take care of our families, to meet our needs. But within that, God has given you those talents and abilities, and this is him asking for a portion. We give a portion back to him to show our obedience to him. As you consider wisely what God would have you do within that. I will comment that this is one of the areas of Scripture God has said, test me in this. Not prosperity gospel, but just as God gives, give back to him a portion and see what God's going to do in your life. It may just be that obedience draws you deeper spiritually. So you can give in person. There are boxes at the corners of the room. You can give online via your computer when you're doing your bills. You can whip out your phone and Take care of that. The instructions are on the screen and via the website. Or you can do old-fashioned snail mail. It'll get in the boxes. God will get it. And then God will use our multiplied offerings to bless his church. And through that, we bless various ministries around literally the globe for the glory of Jesus Christ. Part of our offering, we also take a moment to pray for another local body within the Church of Christ. And today we're going to pray for Harvest Baptist Church. They're over on South 14th and Vine. I spoke with Pastor Pastor Metz over there. Good luck. I had to ask actually how to pronounce if you have to look at their website. Um, He's asked us to pray for them in two ways. 
See, they, like us, have been suffering from COVID. They actually even had to shut down for three weeks because it so impacted their body of Christ. So he'd ask for healing within their body, just like I think we all know there are many within our congregation who have suffered from the, the ravages of COVID. And secondly, they are starting this evening, they're going to start revival meetings at their church. So he, and that's going to carry on through to Wednesday. So he's asked us to pray for them as well with that. So let's close the prayer for our offering and, and Harvest Baptist. And one other thing, for those of you who um, may check your news feeds in the morning, 17 of our brothers and sisters in Christ were taken hostage this morning, or yesterday, not quite clear, in Haiti as they were returning to where they were staying from an orphanage. Apparently some gangs have taken them hostage. Not quite sure what the conditions are of, of them are, but we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters, those that are known and those who are unknown, who are very much on the front lines for Christ, who have volunteered and didn't necessarily expect we want that outcome. Heavenly Father, we want to take this moment to thank you, Lord, for providing for our needs the needs of our body and the needs of our church. Lord, we want to give back to you a portion of what you've given to us. And Lord, we want to live a, lift up Harvest Baptist Church to you. Lord, as they are also recovering from the, the recent ravages of COVID in their body, strengthen those who have been there, protect those who haven't, and lift up those who are so much suffering. And Lord, we lift up to you these 17 people who are right now in probably some very scary situations, or maybe you've already begun the work of freeing them. We don't know, but we know you do. You know their names. I ask you to guide and protect them. Lord, that you'd be the 18th among them. You'd be holding their hands in whatever the situation is, saying, do not fear, for I am with you. And Lord, we pray for a good outcome. But we know in the end, no matter what happens, you will be glorified and you will use this to the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.